Welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers to provide you with tips, tactics, and strategies so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. I'm your host, Kerry Shumway, a CPA, CFO for a brewery, and a former CFO for a beer distributor. I've spent the last 20 years using finance to improve financial results in our beer business. Now I'm helping other craft breweries to do the same. Are you ready to take your brewery financial results to the next level? Okay, let's get started. In today's podcast, we hear from John Round and Shannon Prescott from the Richards Group. We talk all aspects of insurance for your brewery. We talk first about cost reduction tactics, how insurance rates and costs are calculated, where opportunities for savings may exist for you. Next, we get into the value-added side of insurance. Where can and should a broker provide services that may be above and beyond expected coverages? And then we finish up with industry-specific insurance coverages, things to be aware of, pitfalls, and trends that are going on in the industry right now that you need to be aware of. So for now, please enjoy this conversation with John Round and Shannon Prescott from the Richards Group. Just a quick note, we'll be right back to the podcast. I want to let you know about a new network for beer industry professionals. It's called the Beer Business Finance Association. It's an organization of financial pros just like you looking to improve financial results, increase profitability, connect with your peers, and share best practices. So I'd love to tell you a little bit more about this. If you are interested in learning more, please email me, carrie at beerbusinessfinance.com. That's K-A-R-Y at beerbusinessfinance.com. Or you can visit bbfassociation.org. That's bbfassociation.org to learn more. Hey, John. Hey, Shannon. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Gary. Hi. It is wonderful to have you both here today. I'm excited to talk about insurance, benefits, property and casualty, <laughs> all, all the good stuff. But before we dive in, let's learn a little bit about each of you. Maybe tell us a little bit about your background, personally, professionally, and what you do at the Richards Group. Uh, John, why don't you go first? Sure. So John Round, I'm a principal in the Total Rewards Division of uh, the Richards Group. I've been in the industry for uh, over 25 years, started back in 1996, uh, and joined the Richards Group in uh, November of 2019 when I sold my firm to them, and we were able to uh, expand our footprint uh, in northern New England. So it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. And anyone who tells me we're excited to uh, talk about insurance, I have my immediate concerns and suspicions, but let's let's do this. (laughs) Well, it's prepare to be excited. Prepare to be excited. To be floored by the content you're about to hear. Get so ready, Shannon, viewers. Buckle up. Yeah, buckle up. Shannon, tell us a bit about yourself. Challenge accepted. Um, I am Shannon Prescott. I'm the Director of Risk Control uh, in the Property Casualty Division or Commercial Insurance, a uh, little bit easier term to understand. I work with businesses uh, specifically on risk control, so like loss prevention techniques on uh, anywhere a claim might pop up. Um, so while I work in the commercial division, I also end up working a lot um, with John's team in the employee benefits uh, arena as well, because we often get involved in HR compliance issues. Excellent. Yeah. So for our listeners, you know, John's John covers the benefits side and Shannon covers property and casualty. So, you know, we'll kind of alternate in terms of, uh, you know, how we want to attack each one of these. But 
I think what we'll do today is break this into kind of three sections, you know, maybe like a cost reduction section where we talk about, you know, how insurance actually works, sort of the underlying drivers of, of cost. So once people maybe understand that, they have an opportunity to have a measure of control over that cost and where there may be opportunities uh, for savings. So that's one. And then we'll talk about sort of value added services, you know, where you guys specifically can provide services that might be quote unquote above and beyond the expected coverage. And that that's for me where insurance can get, get kind of exciting, you know, I mean, you mentioned, you know, sort of risk control and loss prevention, that may not sound exciting, but for me, it like saving money is exciting. So it actually is like our job is pretty exciting. I was on a construction site this morning and I was at a precision manufacturer last week and a meat packer the week before. So yeah. it's interesting. It is yeah, interesting. That's... Yeah, go ahead, John. No, I was just going to say that, you know, Shannon hit it, the nail on the head. It's it's really just about working and learning the different industries that are out there. Uh, every place different, even within. So if we're even we're, we're talking about craft beer industry, there's no way that we assume that all craft brewers are exactly the same. Everybody has their own culture. Everybody has their own concerns, their risks, uh, mm -hmm. you know, their, their benefits and strengths. So it's a real great opportunity to get in, learn a little bit more, but also at the same time, bring the experience that we have working within the industry to understand that there are some commonalities that we need to recognize and that frankly we can bring those uh, you know those to bear on behalf of uh, any new client or organization that seeks our services absolutely that's great and that'll be the third leg of our of our stool here industry specific coverages things to be aware of kind of watch outs pitfalls things that tend to get missed i mean with your experience whether it's in the craft brewing industry or outside of you know, there may be things you can bring people up to speed on uh, that they should be aware of. So let's start it off with cost reduction. You know, maybe get a primer on the different types of coverages and the key drivers of cost. And maybe, Shannon, we could start with you on the property and, and casualty side with regard to those items. Yeah. So any, you know, especially when we're talking about making products where people are consuming, you want to make sure that you have product recall um, insurance, you want to make sure that you have ample coverage for spoilage, um, thinking also not just when it, it's in your facility, but what happens once it leaves your facility uh, and who's responsible. Are you, do you have your own trucks or are you sending this off with a distributor or a common carrier? And what do those contracts say? What happens if that truck breaks down, your product can't get to where it needs to be, those kinds of things. Um, there's insurances out there in case you lose money in that deal needing maybe to get another truck to come in or you lose something because of spoilage because something got too warm um, on the way, then there's there's uh, coverages in place there. And, and those, not everybody always has those. They're not always um, taken. They're things that are probably recommended. But when we're trying to cost save, we often will just focus on the bigger coverages for the most likely things and then tend to leave off other things. But those those claims can get really costly. So that's a big one um, if you're making anything that somebody's gonna eat or drink. Um, and and then, you know, making sure businesses have an umbrella uh, over their general liability, their auto, their commercial property. Um, sometimes claims can get larger than your limits. Um, so you know, always assessing each year to make sure that your limits are still adequate. Uh, if you've added onto your building or added new equipment, um, you know, your payrolls are increasing, you're thinking about getting another location. These are all things that we should be talking about at renewal as well. Um, and when it comes to you know, workers comp is a bit different. It operates differently than any of the other property and casualty insurance. 
Um, it's required by law, so you have to have it. If you have one employee, you should have workers' comp in place. Um, and those, you know, with that comes a lot of responsibility. That's where we kind of we we get deep into like risk control with OSHA and employee safety, Department of Transportation. If you're distributing um, that kind of thing, mm, yeah, there's a lot there. And what would you say are the underlying like cost drivers for? And it doesn't. It, there's obviously a lot that you just covered there. But if you were to pick you know, whatever the most logical places where work it's co- workers comp or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's the cost driver is always going to be claims for you. Uh, so when we call it, you know, organically, your premium is growing. If your business is growing, your premium is going to grow, especially if you're producing more sales, more product, other products or are growing in payroll. Those are natural increases that you should be used to seeing and they're minimal. Um, the increases that we don't like to see are when there's claims involved. Um, so in most coverages, there's a loss ratio and uh, we look at that. So it's how much has been paid into premium versus how much has been paid out in claims. And then they do a, an equation and they come up with a percentage. And if that is over 40, typically that's not a great loss ratio. Um, so that's where insurance carriers will start to come in and maybe want to do a loss prevention walkthrough and give some recommendations before renewal, or they might start backing off. Um, And one thing that everybody should really be aware about right now, especially in the the property and casualty side is uh, we're in a hard market. uh, And that means that costs are very high and we are struggling to keep the, the premiums flat at renewals. And while we often have hard markets, it's usually on one line of insurance. And so it's like, you know, an errors and emission coverage is hard to place and it's a hard market or cyber liability had a, a lot of hacks the year before. So it's a hard market this year. But right now it's a hard market on every line. Um, it's part of the coming out of the pandemic and we're trying to, you know, figure all this stuff out and inflation plays a role. Ex- uh, medical costs are more. So they're trying to recoup that in premiums. Um, so it's not, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody to see an increase in their insurance coverages, um, especially on the commercial side. I'm sure benefits is, is feeling this as well with medical costs. <laughs> uh, and so the best thing that anybody can do right now is loss prevention and making sure that you don't have those claims. That's, that's the biggest piece. If you can show a carrier each year that you're not having claims and you have the right processes in place we can typically as agents can um, advocate for you and keep those claims or the, keep those premiums level or at minimal increases because you're a better risk. Okay. Could you give us, uh, that's great advice, maybe like a specific example of what that looks like. So loss prevention means what? Do they come in and sort of pre- prevent or proactively try to avoid, or do they say, oh, you got a problem in this area? What does that look like? All of those things. So there's, what do we actively see right now that's a hazard that could cause a claim? So if we're looking at it from an employee safety point of view, you know, we look at all sorts of things that could cause injuries or illnesses to employees um, or cause harm to employees. So we also get into things like sexual harassment. That's a big, we have a lot of claims right now and it has been, it's kind of leveled out, but we're still at a higher claim rate for sexual harassment now because people are more open since the Me Too movement. So there's another, and I know the brewery industry is, is we have lots of clients in the industry that we've been working with to shift this culture to protecting, right, in all these, these areas. So it's a, it's a, 
it's a big one to be taking a look at. So it's putting in programs, training, training your supervisors. That's what loss prevention is. It's training them on being able to recognize what the issues might be, especially our leaders that are out on the floor all the time uh, is really important because they're your, they're your front line and your voices and supervisors can be a bottleneck sometimes of information and they maybe know things that are going on that aren't necessarily getting um, sent up the line like they should be. So when we talk about loss prevention, we talk about training and education for leadership, frontline workers, and then going out and doing actual assessments on the floor, looking to find those hazards and then correct them. Uh, and that's what my team does uh, with our clients. That's great. So John, let's shift to you and talk on the benefit side, maybe a, just a primer on different types of benefit coverages. And same question, like what are the key drivers of cost there that brewery should know about? Sure. And so, you know, if we take a step back, you know, the, what's the basic definition of insurance? It's a pooling of risk. It's the indemnification from catastrophic loss. And you see that, I would argue, more in the commercial, the property and casualty side than perhaps you, you see it in employee benefits these days. With health insurance still leading the way uh, for most people outside of direct compensation, so direct wages, uh, health insurance really has moved away from that indemnification into a everyday benefit. Right, so we're accessing our maintenance medications. Uh, so we're managing chronic conditions, which again could be argued you are avoiding a catastrophic outcome if you don't manage your high blood pressure uh, by taking the necessary pills. But your regular office visit, your wellness visits, those are all things that were originally not part of any kind of health insurance. It was really there to protect you if you went inside the hospital, and then eventually it became um, it became you know covering your doctors and facility fees of, of that sort. You know, and, and, and the other way that if we look at it in terms of the evolution of employer-based health insurance, it was really just a form of compensation. So during one of the world wars, when there was a wage freeze, creative employers decided how else can we, if we can't raise pay, how else can we get benefits uh, and, and forms of comp to somebody? And insurance was one of those ways. We can protect you if you have to go into the hospital or one of your family members uh, needs to go into the hospital. And so you actually heard some of this evolution just in the way that I introduced myself. And that is that I'm now a principal in total rewards. It used to be employee benefits. We're now considered total rewards. And we're seeing that same kind of movement uh, over time that in the past, our core value proposition was the negotiation for the best products at the, lower price, at the lowest price. And now it's really, how can you be an extension of our human resource office and our function in those areas? So we are, we are uh, integrating more and more with Shannon and her work around loss prevention. Because while she's looking at it in terms of perhaps an OSHA violation or a potential issue around workers' comp or something along those lines, we're really looking at it as well as how can we get in there and support the efforts that an employer is taking to engage their employees in culture, in you know safety, in um, well-being, whether that's considered physical well-being, mental well-being, financial well-being. So it's really grown in scope. And that's why we went through a relatively recent uh, rebranding in terms of calling ourselves uh, the total rewards division as opposed to strictly employee benefits division. So we've seen some of that. So outside of that history lesson, uh, if the listeners will, will will allow, now we're getting into every state is different. Uh, you know, we have, if we just look, so I'm sitting in New Hampshire, Shannon's down in Massachusetts, our headquarters is in Vermont. Just in those three states alone, drastically different state and federal regulations that are, are, that are playing for any employers. And then within the employer market, you have your mom and pops, you have your groups up to 50. In Vermont, they actually have their groups up to 100 full-time employees and then over. 
So as you're trying to navigate those different market segments, we're talking about knowing what's ever, you know, an increasingly more complex system in which to try to provide just one type of benefit. Again, we're focused on, on health insurance. So, you know, if we look at ways to save money, it depends entirely on where you sit within one of those states and two, where you sit in terms of that market segment. Uh, so it's, it's really more and more complicated. You know, it's still a relationship business that we're engaged in, working not only with perhaps the owners of that uh, craft brewing company, but also the employees. But it's now beyond that. It can't just be your buddy down the street who's going to help you with insurance. If, if that's the case and that's what matters to you, just understand that you're probably going to be paying a premium for that because they may or may not have the expertise that our 40 people inside of Total Rewards have to be able to be that back office for HR and to understand what the options are out there because the answer isn't always insurance. There are tax programs in your background, certainly you're familiar with those. There are those that can go alongside of or really in place of a traditional health insurance plan or a disability or life insurance plan. So being able to understand what all the options are and how they are going to play with a group of a certain size in a certain locale, that all matters now in terms of the in terms of the work that we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's certainly complex. I, you know, it's interesting on the loss. So if, if maybe the theme thus far is sort of this loss prevention, right. And being maybe proactive within that. And certainly you can see it on the property casualty side as Shannon articulated. Um, but John, like on the, so from a, from a health and benefits, and this might not be a cost savings per se, but it certainly could be a real benefit to employees. And I've seen it personally. We've, you know, you and I've worked together on this mm-hmm. in the past is, what are some of those things that an employer might consider doing that could be preventative in nature for their employees from, from a health perspective? Like what are some examples of, of that? Yeah, it can be as simple as education. So it can be as, you know, it can truly be that we're simply going to give you tips and tricks on how to navigate the system because the best lessons on navigating today's healthcare system, which again, just like health insurance coverage, just like the employer situation is becoming more and more complex. Once you're in it and you're dealing with, maybe it's an acute situation that's your child or it's your loved one or it's you, and all of a sudden you're in the system and your share of the cost have been going up for years. Where in the past we may have seen a deductible and a deductible is that portion of care that you're directly responsible for starting on dollar one. In the past, that may have been $500 or $1,000. Now there's six, $7,000 or higher in some cases, depending on where you live. And that's a tough time to start learning. How do I go about keeping my costs as low as possible? So, you know, the appropriate site of service matters. When do I use an emergency room versus an urgent care center versus being able to go into uh, my doctor's office? And then really with COVID, we saw uh, a burgeoning telehealth or telemedicine market. And, and, and of course, everybody uses terminology different. So even I, you know, I, I use the phrase urgent care centers. Is that a facility-based, meaning is it a hospital-associated urgent care center, or is it something freestanding? So, you know, all of those differences can matter significantly in what a particular employee's out-of-pocket costs are going to be. So it may not even be that it's going to save the employer any money, but by doing that education, you're going to save your employees money. And isn't that the whole point of compensation is how much take-home pay, how much money at the end of the day can you have in your pockets? for everything else that you need in your life outside of your job-related costs. Yeah, absolutely. Great, John. Thank you for that. So Shannon, let's switch back to you and talk about 
kind of the second bullet point for today is sort of these value added services. I think some listeners, you know, we we're sort of joking about how exciting insurance may or may not be, but some listeners might look at insurance as like a commodity. Well, from one or the other, it really doesn't matter. <clears throat> I don't, I don't subscribe to that theory. I really think it's all about the service that you get in the people that are behind the, the firm that are providing it, you know, and how much, you know, time and attention they're giving to you. But so from your perspective, so value added services, you know, how do you think about this when you're working with a current or a prospective client? So where are the areas where you feel like your firm can, can add value to that relationship? Uh, so I, I know from our division and through the work that we do with the employee benefits clients um, that aren't with us on PNC, it's, it really is like, like John was describing, we are an extension of their HR department. And there's, there's lots of agent. You're right that it's, it is about your agent. Insurance is a commodity. It is a product. Um, it is a lot tougher than it used to be to uh, get policies written and language approved by the state. And that's very much how it's done. Each company has to get approved uh, coverages approved by the state, and then they set a rate for it. And that's what the rate is. So when you go to buy insurance and you're working with an agent, what you really should be shopping for is what is that agent going to bring you? Because we all have access to the same rates, to the same coverages, and it's against the law for the company to give us anything different than they would give any other agent. So when you're shopping for this, it's really important of who do you want to partner with? Because that's the relationship that you're going to have. And what are they bringing for you? There are definitely other agents that do things like what we do. Um, we are definitely different. <laughs> the first key piece to our risk control department is that we will never charge a client for our services. Uh, so if you have insurance with us through the commercial division, then there will be no cost uh, to our services, whatever that might be. So the client I drove out this morning to, to Dorset, Vermont, to go visit a, a nice, beautiful home being built, they will not get charged for the time that I spent with them today doing some on-site training with their workers and spent a couple hours there with them and then drove back home to come do this with you all. And that's that's never gonna, and any follow-up from that, we're not gonna charge them anything. We have online resources, we have live help, we have interactive live trainings. I'm a trainer. Uh, we have a team behind me that's, that's helping get uh, policies written, those kinds of things. The reason that we do it this way is that we believe that agents need to be more than that middle person between you and the carrier. And, you know, businesses can't get direct writers for a lot of things, although we're starting to see that shift a bit. It can be really dangerous in the business world to be trying to go to a direct insurance writer and write your own liability policies and without the guidance of somebody who is licensed to walk you through what you're actually buying. Um, so that an agent plays a huge role in that. Outside of my team, we work with a, uh, we'll always work with an account executive who is the coverage expert, the one placing your policies and doing that risk management, making sure you have the right policies, the right limits, what deductibles will work for you. Do you want deductibles or not? And work through all of that. And then on our end, we want to come in and make sure that you never actually have to use that coverage. We want you to have it just in case, because we can't account for anything, right? Severe weather. I can't control the weather, unfortunately. You know, we can't always control outsiders coming into our space. Um, so there's, you know, things like workplace violence, that kind of thing that we have to be aware of. But for the majority of the claims that happen, they're preventable. And we can usually find the things um, if we just know what to look for. And then we can put um, 
put parameters in place, prevention methods in place, policies in place, trainings in place. And so, you know, when you're shopping for an agent, you want to make sure that they, they have some of these resources. Um, other agents have separate entities that are attached to them where you can get some amount of services through them. Um, and then there's extra services that you can buy for a fee. Our team works for fee on with clients that are not. Um, so they're just, they've come to us for trainings, but they don't necessarily want to move their insurance to our agency. We work for fees on with those as well. So we can go in and, and do um, all sorts of things. It's easier when you have a team like ours working with a coverage expert and an account manager, and then you have our expertise looking on the back end. We can take a look at your claims and watch for any trends. You know, so we, you know, talk about, um, there's leading indicators, stuff that's happening right now that we can see active trends that we need to get on top of. But then it's going, okay, well, where else could that happen in the company? Is there a similar hazard somewhere else that we can get to before this starts happening somewhere else, like multiple locations? If it exists in one area, it probably exists in another area. And OSHA looks at that too. <laughs> so where can we find um, the things that could go wrong and get those fixed? after we take a look at the things that are going wrong right now that we need to get on top of. Um, and so an agent that can come in and do that for you. And that's very much how our benefits team works on, on their end as well through wellness and, and that sort of thing. I won't, I won't talk too much and steal John's thunder there. Um, but it's, that's just how our agency is, is built is how can we be better agents to you so that you don't have to ride this, hard market <laughs> wave too harshly exactly exactly and john with that lead in let's let's hear your thunder what have you to say about value-added services <laughs> on the uh, total reward side my man well you know it as i said it, it's very much been an evolution over time uh in terms of the, the the expectations of our clients and that's really in many ways regardless of the size so i'm a 25 employee brewer um, but I don't have an HR office. That's me. I'm the owner, I'm the brewer, and now I'm the HR person as well. And how do I go about managing all of that? That is not really why I, I started this business. I wanted to start brewing beer. I chemistry interest. I think I make good product. And now all of a sudden I'm managing people, which is a whole you know issue unto itself. And I'm trying to abide by not only the regulations on the on the food and beverage side of things, but now on the the regulations that I face, you know, in terms of just my personnel. So, you know, as, as Shannon said, we've invested into, uh, we have organizational wellness leads that work with some of our larger clients. And, and I will talk a little bit, if I can circle back to your cost reduction, I, I, I will uh, in just a moment and how those organizational wellness leads can, can really be uh, important to, uh, to keeping costs down. We have folks who are doing HR leadership and development. We have someone who's entirely dedicated to that work. So going about in and, and they worked very closely with Shannon around trainings for, as, as Shannon said, management level. So it could be your supervisor, staff, uh, whatever. It might be shift leads that are out there uh, and making sure that they have the proper training such that they're not creating issues for you uh, on either the, you know, the, the uh, property casualty or on, frankly, the total reward side of things. So you know, we take it above and beyond. And in many ways, we're able to do that because we're still independent. You know, the Richards Group on the total reward side is the single largest independent uh, employee benefits broker in both New Hampshire and Vermont. There's been a tremendous amount of M&A activity uh, in brokerages. Uh, so a lot of private equity, a lot of venture capital coming back in. They're staring at EBITDA and there are there might be kickers and some earnouts there that are saying, if you can build up your EBITDA, 
uh, one way or another, you're going to get a little extra owner of that agency. And so how do they do that? Well, your, your listeners probably know, Kerry, right? It's increased revenue, reduced costs. So if I'm an existing client of one of these insurance brokers who's now been acquired by a very large national or maybe multinational corporation, where do I fit in that equation? I'm not necessarily new revenue. Am I going to be affected instead by lowering costs and reducing costs, which could be personnel or services that are in a lot available to me? You know, the Richards Group, and we are a family-owned company, you know, the partners who are involved have made it very clear, we do right by the client, period. There is no, and sometimes it's frustrating for those of us who are trying to manage our book to be able to say, well, there's no real profit target on per case basis or on a per book basis. No, do right what, by what's, you know, do right by the client, do what you need to do. So to Shannon's point, she can go out to a site evaluation. There's no extra charge for that. A lot of the services that we provide, we are trying to provide at little or to no cost to our, uh, to our folks. There's enough money in the system between commissions and other fees that are out there built into the products uh, for us to be able to support this work. So, you know, yes, there are a lot of value-added um, pieces that we're adding, um, that we've had, that we're refining, and it really just depends on what the, you know, what that uh, particular client uh, is seeking. And John, we, so you presented at the uh, New Hampshire Brewers Conference back in, it was January or thereabouts. And you were speaking to a number of sort of creative benefits, some things that I was like, oh, that's interesting. I never heard of that. What are, if, if you recall any of those particulars, like creative benefits that breweries can provide? Because we think about like, well, there's health and there's dental and there's 401k. Those are, mm-hmm. those are great benefits, but they're not particularly creative. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, I know about those. What are some of the things, you know, could be trends. It could be something new. It could be just kind of a quirky thing that, that might be interesting that people hadn't heard of on the benefits side. Yeah. And, and I think, thank you for bringing that up. I, I think we were in a snowstorm that day. It was, yes. it was quite an adventure on the drive home. But, uh, you know, what I spoke to more than anything, I think, was know your people, know your demographics. That matters. Culture matters. Uh, and again, that's part of the beautiful part of working with craft brewers is everybody has their niche. I might make an IPA. I may make a pills. I may make a stout. I may make sours. Whatever it is that I'm crafting. How am I going to differentiate my product from the others? I need to get people in the door. The same thing when you're trying to attract and retain employees. So what is your story? What's your narrative? What is the culture that you are going to create? And then more importantly, how consistent are you to that culture? So it's easy to throw up a mission statement onto a website or onto an Indeed ad as you're looking for someone in front of house who's a part-timer. But how am I going to actually follow through and make sure that I'm a better hospitality employer than the one down the street, whether it's another brewer or whether it's a hotel, restaurant, whatever it might be. And so that's where I say, first and foremost, know your people and understand that with five generations within the workforce today, it's not all the same. They are not looking for the exact same thing. And there's some studies out there. Deloitte uh, publishes one every year. Uh, I think the one in 2023 covered both Gen Z and millennials in terms of what they were looking for. And it's different. Uh, flexibility is key, but how we define flexibility, it may mean a shortened work week. It may mean that for some positions, I want to be able to work at home. Other people say my homework environment is not very positive. I can't be as productive as if I'm coming to the brewery and or the, the, the brew house and I'm able to actually have an office or a dedicated workspace. So trying to understand the people and what's out there is, I think, first and foremost. As far as more kind of product-driven benefits, uh, the things that are getting a lot of focus today are reproductive health. So that's beyond family planning. 
Uh, we're talking about things like voluntary benefits. Pet insurance is one uh, that, you know, when I first started, that was a little bit of a snicker when you would say pet insurance. But if we look at the trends around younger workforce and their interest in having children, it's lessening, but their interest in having pets and taking care of those pets and then actually making significant financial investments in the health of their pets, that is a growing interest of that workforce. So do I have that available to them so that they at least have the option? I'm not saying that employers need to necessarily be paying for the coverages, but making them available, vetting them through, again, a qualified broker or other consultant who can say that this is a quality product and educate them on what it will do and what it won't do so that they're not buying something that ends up being valueless to them. You know, that matters. Uh, caregiver benefits for those of us who might be, you know, with uh, parents who are in the 80s, you know, and, and older, and they also have kids at home and trying to understand how we're going to go about handling both of those situations. So we're seeing more and more interest in employee assistance programs that are not simply tacked on to a disability plan or a life insurance plan. They're really standalone. They, they include some uh, either virtual visits or in-person visits face-to-face because we know that, uh, you know, and I don't think it's different really anywhere in the country, access to mental health providers is really challenging. So if it's an acute issue and we can get some triage done or maybe even resolve the issue just through an employee assistance program and three to five visits, that's going to be a huge benefit for those folks. And you know, absenteeism and presenteeism both are going to affect. So just because I'm at the work site doesn't mean I'm focused at the work site if I've got these other issues uh, that I'm trying to, to handle at home. And then it's just other creative ways of providing compensation. So the newest one that I've heard is lifestyle account. So this could be simply providing folks with taxable benefits. So these are not tax-free benefits, it's taxable benefits, but it's additional cash that you're going to earmark for things as simple as a Netflix subscription so that they have that at home. Could be for gym memberships. It could be beyond you know, some of the more traditional reimbursement programs that you may have uh, through your medical insurance carrier. So, it, you know, yes, we are getting, people are getting more and more creative in ways of d- delivering some of that compensation to their workforce. Yeah, that's great stuff. I think that's really an interesting way to think about it. Yeah, five generations in the workforce, you didn't really consider that. But I think your point is know your people so that you can tailor your benefits to be what's going to be most impactful for them. Right. And and understand that's a balance because you can't also meet everybody's needs. And we see that a lot of times with smaller employers that as they start to grow, they say, well, I'm still small enough. We're a fan. I want to say, Carrie, what do you want? You know, Shannon, what would you like? John, what would you like? And then we try to meet all those needs. And inevitably, by doing so, you start to definitely walk into some gray areas around what's allowed and what's not allowed uh, in terms of the way that you structure your comp and benefits. So it's it's a little bit of a balancing act, and that's where, once again, having the right advisor working alongside of you, whether you're a group of 10 or whether you're a group of 100 or more, you know, or 1,000 or more, some of those, you know, issues are going to be the same in terms of being able to, 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 to analyze that information and come up with some creative solutions. Yeah, yeah, that's great stuff. These these are all all benefits once you have them in the door, but they're also great re- recruitment benefits because that's a huge deal right now. Is people just wh- where is everyone? You know, trying to find recruit, yeah. retain, and train, and you know, the recruitment part of it is that that could be huge for that. It, it's perceived value. Uh, I may think it's the best thing in the world, but if my employees don't see it and therefore there's no perceived value, then I probably just spent a lot of time, energy, and money that I really don't have. I could have been putting it somewhere else. And it's and it's valueless. So understanding those folks, 
both, as I said, kind of in general with what the different generations are looking for, but employee engagement surveys, if you can have a third party do that, then you can avoid some of that. Well, you asked me and I told you what I wanted and now I'm not getting it. I'm now disgruntled. Uh, you know, that you can you can have some of those. There are some pretty easy surveys that are out there or different uh, different organizations that are doing work in this space such that it doesn't necessarily look like you're asking the questions. It's somebody else who's coming in and doing the asking for you. Excellent. So, Shannon, let's shift back to you and talk a bit about maybe trends, industry specific coverages, like, you know, maybe some watch outs or pitfalls. What are the sort of the things that you're seeing that tend to get missed? with coverages and that's kind of bundled all you can take that question in any direction you'd like there are three different answers there okay um let's the coverage piece uh so trends right now uh as i mentioned the hard market before but one of the uh coverages that has been hit hard lately is cyber liability and it's often one that is the limits are not high enough so most liability policies at this point should have some form of cyber coverage the limits are often nowhere near what you're actually going to need if you had some sort of, of breach. Um, a lot of people depend on their credit card system, their POS, to have the right security in place. But there are some requirements. That's a contract that you're signing with that POS system, um, whoever you're purchasing it from. And there will be an indemnity uh, risk transfer clause in that uh, in that contract. And there should also be requirements for you, the business owner, that you are going to have to have in place the right kind of firewalls, those kinds of things in place to protect the the readers. Uh, so they, the credit card industry will actually put that very much back on the business owner. And so we've seen things that the problem with cyber liability is that we cannot keep up with the cyber crime. And so every time we think we have a solution or we get a coverage for something, there's some new form of cybercrime out there. And because insurance is so specific and that they have to, you know, coverages have to be written very clearly as to what exactly they cover. And then there's exclusions that void some of those things out. <laughs> so it's never always what it seems. It's always one way until it's not. That's my, my caveat with insurance. Um, so with cyber liability, you know, we've seen things like, you know, small employers who take, they have a credit card swiper at their point of checkout and that was hacked through their internet that they had a firewall put up by a friend, you know, that does IT. And so they just came and did something on the side for them. This one claim in particular, the client had multiple, uh, it was actually from the target breach. They had credit card numbers from the target breach go through their credit card reader and they were responsible for all of those swipe fees, which ended up being close to six figures of swipe fees after all the cards were through. And there was no coverage for that for them. There was nothing we could do to get that back to them because it just wasn't something that that industry had come across at the time. There's coverage for those kinds of things now, but that's the the idea behind the you know these hackers and and it's such a a broad. Thing. It's anything. You have a website, you need cyber liability coverage. You take credit cards, you need cyber liability coverage. Do you have online ordering or anything like that? You have an app out on people's phones. You use computers. <laughs> do, do you have internal servers or are you placing your server out on the cloud with somebody? Internal servers can be hacked. And when they are in a criminal investigation, those physical servers will be removed from your location and you have no more servers. 
Do you have a plan for that? There's my loss prevention risk control side coming in. Do you have a, you know, what's your backup plan if you do get hacked and you have to lose your service to the police? Um, there's all sorts of things that could happen that we've seen over the years. So cyber liability is definitely something to double check with your current agent about, do I have the right coverage? There's, there's cyber assessments out there. There's free ones online. We have some as well. So if anybody's a client of ours, for sure, can reach out and we can give you a cyber risk assessment to just kind of figure out, do I have the right things in place? If you go to apply for a standalone cyber coverage, they'll give you a risk assessment. Um, they might not cover you if you don't have everything in place. It's a, it's a big process and you really, you need to have somebody that understands IT to go through it as well. We even have a, an expert, I won't even try to pretend to talk about how the coverages really work and all of those because we have somebody that's specifically trained around cyber because it is such a broad topic. I can remember a lot, but I would have to forget everything I know about OSHA and the DOT to even start down the, <laughs> the road with cyber. Um, and John brought up a great um, point when uh, talking about mental health and mental health support in the workplace. That is absolutely a trend that we're seeing in the occupational safety and health world. Uh, so our good friends at OSHA who only want to keep people safe, that is their main mission, um, so that everybody goes home at the end of the day with all the parts that they walked in with. That's my my rule for safety. We're going to go home just as we all came in. Uh, OSHA has taken a stance on mental health in the workplace. And what that means is it's a hazard. And, and to John's point exactly that if I'm dealing with something outside of work or even a stressful situation inside of work and that's affecting my mental health, my focus is not going to be there. And with people out on manufacturing floors, including brewery floors, that's dangerous. Forklift operator that's not focused on what they're doing is a dangerous um, situation for any employer. So we are taking a huge step forward in focusing on supporting the mental health of workers in the workplace in order to protect physical safety, not also productivity, absenteeism, focus when you are here, um, workplace violence issues, substance use issues. If we can recognize signs and symptoms early on in each other, then we can often get people into some sort of recovery, whatever that means for them, whatever their mental health challenge is. Uh, so one of the things we do on my team is mental health first aid classes. Um, it's a full day class where, and it's laid out like a physical first aid class where we look at early signs and symptoms, worsening symptoms, and then what's crisis situations and how do you approach each one of those at each level? How do you talk to people? How do you give reassurance? Uh, what are the resources? When is self-care appropriate? When is this a more serious and we might need a doctor or 911 or 988? Uh, so we're focusing a lot on that having a lot of supervisors come through these classes so that they can be better listeners. Um, we decrease stigmas in that class as well, especially around things like substance use or psychosis disorders, um, anxiety and depression. We talk about it all. And um, manufacturing and construction have the highest rates of opiate use amongst its employees. And a lot of it has to do with the trends that we used to see with how we manage pain after serious injuries, which makes sense in manufacturing and, and construction, that there would be more serious issues that were treated with pain management. Um, so we're backing off of that, especially in workers' comp. I mean, I'm so sorry, my dog. Well, while, while Shannon's dog is uh, taking a break, uh, I think it's important, and I'm glad Shannon brought that up because I was about to if she hadn't, and that is her work in the mental health first aid has been huge for us in the total rewards. You know, We started with a grant 
uh, federal grant that we worked in conjunction with one of our clients that's a counseling service to provide this training outside. Shannon went ahead and got certified in order to be able to conduct these trainings on ourself, uh, herself. And so now we're able to provide these trainings at regular intervals throughout the year for our clients, as well as some inside internal to TRG. Uh, I don't know the total number of people just inside of TRG who have gone through the course, but I have. It was fantastic. And you think back to that craft brewers conference in New Hampshire, our keynote speaker that, uh, that morning was talking about mental health and suicide and talking about the prevalence of suicide within uh, the hospitality and, uh, industry. And I think his organization was called 86 The Stigma uh, or something, and I may not have the name exactly right, uh, but it is getting more and more attention and has been a huge uh, service that we've been able to provide. And we continue to. I, there's another training coming up sometime in the near future that's available, again, to our clients as well as some of our close prospects. So you know, we're definitely investing in that space. Shannon has personally invested in it. And uh, it, it's it's something that we're seeing, we hope, uh, it, it, you know, is, is seeing dividends uh, for the employers that have gone through that. Yeah, I get a, a lot of really great feedback from the students that go through that class about how helpful it is. Lots of follow-up questions as well. I just had a student from months ago reach out about she's in HR and she's dealing with um, an employee issue that's having a personal issue and she just wasn't sure she was given the right resources. So we sent her some other resources. And that's the other great thing about when you take one of our courses, even if you're not a client of ours, we're still accessible to you. Um, that's part of the rules of being an instructor for these courses. Uh, you have to be accessible to all students, whether they're clients of our organization or not. So we can do some more outreach there. I know I love teaching them because I know people are leaving that class with more tools in their toolbox. Our, our <laughs> great little phrase we love to use. We're going to give you tools for your toolbox. And they do, they walk out with at least one thing, if not multiple things that they can take and do that's actionable to be better the next time something presents itself. And you'd be surprised how quickly you'll use those skills, even for minor things. Yeah, well, it's such an important topic and obviously, you know, one that requires a lot of training around it. And, you know, it starts with sort of awareness. I think we're generally aware you know, that things are going on, but we're also specifically aware that most managers do not have the skill set, the tools to do much about it, you know, unless you're, you know, either trained in that or or whatnot. But so it's great that, uh, you know, you guys are not only advocating for that, but you have the training, the certifications and, you know, to, to kind of bring that forward and support your, your clients with that. Yeah, we want to see it through to the end. So we don't want to just hand you a template of what a policy should look like, and then you should execute this and then live this. We want to help you see it all the way through and then move on to the next thing. What else can we see this all the way through to? And, and to your point with the supervisors and training, these are huge skills for supervisors to have, to be able to have good communication skills, to be able to listen, to be able to say things appropriately without potential for causing what we call employment practices liability claims because supervisors' mouths sometimes get away from them. <laughs> and so we don't want that, uh, but, I always ask my clients and everybody should ask themselves this. You have an onboarding program, right? For your new employees. So you have an idea of what their first week looks like. Maybe their first two weeks looks like as we, you know, move them through and start training them. But what is your onboarding program for your supervisors? Either when you bring a new supervisor in from the outside or you promote somebody from within. And, and why are you choosing that person to be the next leader? Because that's what we're really looking for. It's not necessarily somebody who knows how to run the machine the best but who's the best leader to, for that position? 
that can support people, that can listen to people, that can guide people, that people listen to. Those are the people we should be putting in the positions and then giving them the trainings and education that they need for skills and understanding the employee benefit side. Supervisors can be our, our biggest liability at times. And it's not, not because they're bad people, but because they don't know until we teach them. Yeah, absolutely. Those are great points. Thank you, Shannon. So John, shifting back to you, um, industry specific coverages, things to be aware of, trends. Um, yeah, this uh, on the benefit side. Yeah, I think you know, and and this is again, it's a bit of a balancing act. So you know, as a general rule, if you're working in a fully insured, I'm going to go back to medical insurance. If you're working in a fully insured environment, which is how the vast majority, certainly of small employers, work. So you're going to either a state exchange or you're going through a broker to an insurance company. You're buying a policy for your employees. Maybe you're buying a couple of different options or signing up. You're paying your monthly premiums. It's very simple, very straightforward. So from a resource standpoint, if I'm managing everything else, that's a very easy way to do it. But it is a no-win situation financially. You are truly hooking you know, your cart up to a horse over which you have zero control. And if we just take the example of in Vermont, uh, there are on the state exchange, there are two carriers who are participating. They issued their, uh, just recently, their, uh, proposed increases to the cost on average of, of insurance coverage for next year. Now, the state of Vermont then has a Green Mountain board that goes through, reviews it, and can actually reduce that. That process has been completed. We're waiting to see how it shakes out in terms of each of the plans that they have filed for groups under 100 full-time employees. So think about how many of our small craft brewers that is. You know, that is. The lowest increase was 11.5%, with the other one being about 13.3%. And that's after the government stepped in and said, no, it needs to be lower than what you're proposing. What other cost center do you have that's going up by 11 and 13% year after year after year? You have no control over it. In many cases, there aren't even necessarily any cost-effective strategies for managing it because it's total demographic. It's just how many people do you have in New Hampshire? How old are they? How old are the people that they want to cover in their families? Add them all together. That's your cost. And whatever happens with claims, you use insurance, you don't use insurance. You have a lot of bad risk. You have no bad risk is immaterial. So moving away from that is a trend. So we're seeing alternative strategies on in terms of a financial backing, whether it's captives, purchasing coalitions, self-funding and partial self-funding. Those are all coming down market into those smaller and smaller. So we're seeing some of the some of the uh, industry insiders that need to be part of that. So third-party administrators, stop-lock carriers, some of these groups, they're coming into smaller and smaller. But that also means that the brokers and the consultants that have traditionally worked in fully insured are now being asked to evaluate those options for you. If they don't have experience in it and you decide to follow their lead, you can be in real trouble because there's a lot of ways that those numbers can be presented, both from the uh, from the agents into the brokers and from the brokers onto you or at any part of that where the numbers can get skewed or there's simply naivete or ignorance as to what they really mean. And now you're locked into something that you do, is not going to work out well for you. So, you know, while it's important to understand that moving away from fully insured policies is important from a financial standpoint, you really better make sure that you have the right advisor who's going to guide you through that process so that when you go into it, you have your eyes wide open, you understand, again, you can do that balancing act between the financial gains that you may 
have on on making a switch versus any extra work or resources that it's going to involve from you know from your personnel or from you alone as the owner slash HR slash finance slash you know keep adding all of that um, to to your role. So again, really important that it's a great trend. It's important that we see that the insurance carriers understand that. Uh, and so they're getting more and more creative in terms of the kinds of products that they're offering. Uh, but if we can start to address some of those, I think we have an opportunity to at least lower costs on a short-term basis. Long-term, something's going to have to give its point. Employers can't continue to absorb these levels of increases uh, with the consolidation both on the carrier side, the brokerage side, the healthcare system side. I'm not sure where it's it's going to end, but it's it's getting more diff, more and more difficult. And I think your listeners will certainly agree with that uh, from a financial standpoint. Absolutely. And as we kind of wind down here, maybe any final thoughts, uh, anything you want to kind of go back and underscore, any questions I didn't ask uh, that should have? Shannon, anything come to mind for you as we kind of wrap up? No, I think, um, you know, workers' comp is another big area that every, you know, especially when you're working in a more dangerous industry, it's something you're going to pay a higher rate for it anyway. So the more prevention you can put in place to avoid injuries is the best thing for workers comp for cost savings just don't have claims <laughs> it's the best way to do it um pay attention to what your uh your modification factor is or your emr rating it depends on what report you're looking at as to what it's gonna, and and each state is a little different too um with how they do modification factors but those those essentially are like a safety rating. So if you're if you see your mod creeping up over a one, it's definitely something is going on with your claims that you should start paying attention to. And you can reach out to your agent. They can typically have people that can walk you through your mod and understand what's driving that. But that's a big, big part to workers comp. So pay attention to OSHA because when we follow what uh, OSHA wants us to do for safety, then often we have less claims. Right. And John, for you, any final thoughts? Yeah, just remember, it's your bottom line that matters. It's it's not ours, and it's not the insurance company's. It, it, it's really yours. And in order to get there, it's making sure that you have the right partner and the right advisor in place. Uh, you know, Our first meeting uh, with a prospect doesn't involve a PowerPoint any longer. Uh, we sit down and we have a conversation. Uh, and so we talk about what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses right now in terms of the person that we're sitting with or the people that we're sitting with. How did you get where you are? What do you? What keeps you up at night? Talking about that, and then from that conversation, we can glean probably two or three areas where we're not presenting solutions at that time. We're going to take the information back. We're going to look at what you're dealing with. We're going to get a little bit more, you know, a few more questions perhaps around, you know, if there's something that we didn't cover in full. And then if there's a second meeting, that's when we'll talk about, here's what we heard from you. Here's what we think we can add value and uh, some of the areas which perhaps we can refine. Um, because that's ultimately, you know, what it is. I had a conversation with a manufacturer just a couple of weeks ago, and they're with somebody, a reputable you know, consultant broker, and they said, well, we don't need you. We're doing great. We've had a rate hold for the last three years. And in health insurance, when I'm not part of this community rating, meaning my claims matter, having a, a flat rate for three years is fantastic, except that once we actually dug into the numbers and they provided a little bit of background for us, I was able to show them, you're right, there is no problem with that result, but what if you could have saved yourself another half million dollars? Literally, on a $2.1 million bill over the last three years, what if you could have saved yourself that half million because your data 
supports the fact that you did far better than just a rate hold. So great narrative, easy to deliver, easy win for everybody involved. But with a little bit of work and a little bit of digging, you had opportunities to perhaps save that much as a budget item. And how could you have reinvested that? So if you're worried about the fact that you have changed as a difficult decision to make within your organization, we can't discount that. But at some point, the ROI on some of that change is significant enough to address the other issues that you might face around rising ingredient costs, whatever it might, new, new systems, new personnel, expanding that HR office to actually hire two people instead of just one who's trying to managing a growing business. So that's, you know, that's, I think, you know, where it comes down to is just make sure that you remember it's your bottom line. And if they're not focused on your bottom line, then they're probably not focused on the correct thing. There you go. That's a great way to wrap up. So John and Shannon, a lot of great information. Uh, people that are listening want to get in touch, learn a little bit more about you guys and the Richards Group. What's the best way for them to do that, Shannon? Um, email is always the best for me. It's sprescott at therichardsgrp.com. You can also find us on therichardsgrp.com online, and we're all on there as well for contact yep. information. Link. I think all of us have LinkedIn profiles, yeah. so you certainly can reach out to us that way. But therichardsgrp.com, you can find everybody on there. All our email addresses and contact information is there. Uh, we're always happy to help. That's fantastic. Now, I don't know if we achieved the goal of making insurance exciting, but I think we came <laughs> to you guys. So a job well done. Thank you so much. Always good to set lofty goals at times, right, Carrie? <laughs> That's the only way to go. It's true. <laughs> yeah, well, benefits. You know, benefits can go beyond the perks of shifties and merch and uh, food discounts, which believe me, we all love. When we go work with our brewery clients, there's nothing better than at the end of the meeting, sitting down to a nice cold pint. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there's plenty, there's plenty more out there and we're happy to, sh to open that world to you and try to make it exciting. That's awesome. Thanks guys. Thank Thanks, you. Carrie. Thank you Take for care. listening to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. For more resources, tools, guides, and online courses, visit craftbreweryfinancialtraining.com. And don't forget to sign up for the world-famous Craft Brewery Financial Training Newsletter. Until next time, get out there and improve financial results in your brewery today.